Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, hello, hello. And you're here for another podcast episode, huh? Wow, that's great. You know, you guys just keep coming and coming. I I don't mean it in a bad way. It's a good thing, you know? Just shows that I'm helping you guys in some way. That's good. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. Anyways, it's like the first time you have, you know, you do the thing that breaks your V. Now, the ones who who are actually adult enough would understand what I'm talking about. Anyways, let's not get into mature stuff here. Let's get into something which is much more mature. That is improving and working on yourself. Okay. Now, as you know from the title itself, this is a guest recording okay this is gonna be a guest oriented episode for this month it's just that i am gonna play the recording right now before i do that i just want to you know let you guys know a little bit about the developments and that is that i put the guest recording a bit earlier than usual i would put it at the end of the month i didn't do that i put it in the middle of the month the reason i did that is because i'm saving up for my anniversary episode which is going to be the finale the finale episode for season one which was the first year okay and i have think i've thought about it like this every april end april 28th will be a season finale which will be a finale for that year now my season one started on 28th april 2021 and it's going to end on 28th april in 2022 which is going to come very nearby now and that's going to be a season finale, like an anniversary episode. Okay. And that's what's going to happen. Just to let you guys in on what is going to happen and what that new episode will be all about. That final episode for the season that I have on my show. Just to let you guys know on that. Another thing regarding the guest recording is that this recording was held a long time back it was somewhere around january or february so we will be talking about covid here or there so just just know that this is not the latest okay things have settled down a lot like at least in canada things have settled down a lot since you know the past two months so just to let you guys know that it is going to be a bit outdated the things that we're going to talk about when it comes to covid so just don't worry about that you know just don't start thinking what you know you don't have to think about it another thing is that some of the things that we're going to go into are a bit more you know like secretive in nature and they are not those kind of things that you would hear about in mainstream media you know like news and stuff you would not hear these things in news and stuff because these are things which are like uh kind of like you know dirt in the healthcare industry because the person that we have the person that i have on on this show on this episode is going to be a co- uh, i think so he's into cosmetics or cosmetic surgeon he actually did years and years of research in order to actually dig up the dirt in the healthcare industry so you know he talks about a lot of things and in his books and also on the episode which will be controversial in nature for many people now, I don't find it controversial because that is true. Healthcare industry is known to do some really weird stuff for its gains. And if any of you guys are not familiar with that, 
that's all right you know you might just be new to this but if you have gone through a long history of you know paying bills and you know going for medicines and stuff you would know what i'm talking about anywho the things that we're going to talk about are going to be a bit sensitive so i just want you guys to you know take that into consideration and not just you know blow things out of proportion okay don't just go all you know like whoa don't go like that okay just calmly listen to whatever the guest has to say and deal with it accordingly if you don't believe in it that's fine you know because he's also going to talk about a bit more on covid and covid vaccinations and he's going to talk about some controversial stuff there so i just want you to you know i wanted to let you know about all of that and again most of the stuff that we talk about is time sensitive so many of the stuff might not be happening right now but it was happening at the moment when we uh, you know did the recording so i just want to let you guys know on that and without further ado let's just get started with the guest recording and let's get on with it hello 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 welcome to another amazing podcast episode and this is going to be a guest interview episode for the month and for the guest interview i have robert yoho and he's a uh, he has retired from his medical practice and now he has contributed his time to research and he became a healthcare whistleblower he has written two books one of them is an amazon best selling book an amazing book about medical corruption and the name of the book is butchered by healthcare and another book that is going to be the topic for this podcast episode is about hormones as he had uh, done some hormone practices as well and the name of the book is hormone secrets and that's going to be the topic for this podcast podcast episode and he's going to share some really amazing insight and perspective from his experience and knowledge and we're going to get some really good you know information about hormones so welcome robert thank you ronit it's a pleasure to be on your podcast yeah so robert before like we move on to the book and talk about the book i just wanted to ask what was like what motivated you to write a book because usually writing a book is such a big task right you know you know it's like such a long thing to do and so much information to put and such a big dedication like what motivated you to do that yeah it takes years and i wrote these two books in about 4 years total and you know i i i came to learn and understand that if they weren't worthy not a single person would ever read them so these things have been edited up to 40 times each. I mean it's a fantastic thing. I had six or seven outside editors as well who gave me suggestions and but I the main thing about writing is you have to do it yourself and just keep on uh you keep on working on the problem. So I was in I'm like Rip Van Winkle. I was asleep in medicine doing my thing and I was in an eddy, a bywater, a sub sub uh, specialty of medicine i was a cosmetic surgeon and i had a background i was originally a board certified emergency physician and i'd had some background in in uh, internal medicine as well um before i got started and i was a family practitioner and then i got started on uh uh the cosmetic surgery but i was interested in hormone therapy because my practice i'm 68 now <laughs> i'm 68 jeez where did the time go and my practice uh aged with me and pretty soon i was seeing all these people over 
And most of them had hormone deficiency problems. And it was mostly women. It was probably 95% women. And they get almost a miraculous improvement if they are deficient in, you know, their estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, if you replace those. And it's simple and inexpensive, and they're not fancy uh, patent drugs. And we have experience using these drugs for 100 years in the case of thyroid, 120 years, uh, and 80, 90 years in the case of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. So we have a tremendous clinical experience. And I kept wondering why there were all these warnings on these drugs and all this nonsense about cancer and all this stuff. And so I started studying. I uh, went to classes. I finally became certified to do uh, bioidentical uh, hormone therapy and I learned about what was happening. And I eventually, uh, I eventually got into the larger field, <laughs> the larger field of healthcare corruption and eventually uh, published this book, which is bigger and more uh, comprehensive. And it's, it's truly a remarkable thing to see how money-driven healthcare is. But to continue the story about my hormone experiences, most plastic surgeons operate on a string of depressed and anxious people who are trying basically to treat their psychological states with surgery. I know that's not the standard, standard conception. The standard conception is we're making the string of women uh, glamorous. And we do that to some extent, but most of them never even think about why their, their patients are having all these trouble. Uh, and I didn't feel that was ethical. I felt that it was important for me to look at the whole patient. And when I did, I found all these hormone problems. And I, uh, so I eventually started, um, I, I just gave them that therapy for free. I would give them a little pellet containing hormones and I would insert, insert it into their fat with their permission, of course, and after discussing the whole situation and deciding that they were interested and so on. And the pellet dissolved over a period of three months. And during that period, the women had uh, usually had almost complete relief of their hot flashes. Their, you know, their muscles uh, did better. They were able to exercise. Uh, they had intellectual improvements. And um, they were pretty much red-pilled about the whole idea of hormone therapy in most cases. And then after that, um, we could give them all the hormones they needed, depending on their blood tests. Um, but you haven't heard about this, so you probably aren't aware that the major organizations say that you can treat uh, women based on their symptoms after they're 50, rather than having to draw blood tests. Now, I for the most part, got blood tests, but um, the American College of Gynecology has endorsed uh, just treatment. Uh, we call it empiric treatment. In other words, treatment based on symptoms. A trial, trial of therapy is another way to describe it. And I mean, these women came back in a week and they were doing backflips and it wasn't about the size of their breasts. They felt better overall. They felt more alert um, and they had all these wonderful advantages at the horn, you know, the beginning of the advantages, the advantages uh, change and alter and improve over months and to years. Um, weight loss, for example, the best weight loss drug we've ever had is testosterone because it lasts over a decade and gradually cuts weight. So, so I had this, these experiences and, uh, you know, I got interested enough. I, I was a part-time hormone prescriber. There are people who do this full-time who have vastly more experience than me, but I got interested enough to collate the material and write a book about it. And so I have this thing that's almost like 
a little textbook for patients and for doctors about how their hormones work and the doses and uh, how to approach the problem. And there are some, you know, there are some pitfalls and some problems with it. But for the most part, these are the best drugs we have in our entire formulary. And they've been run down by a huge medical industrial complex that wants to sell patented drugs for thousands of dollars a month and doesn't want simple solutions to be, uh, to be uh, uh, shown around. So, and I, you know, my, to, it only costs me about $18 a patient to give them three months of menopause relief uh, with that little pellet. And I would stick the thing in through a tiny incision in the belly button on the inside of the belly button. So nobody can complain about a scar. That's one of the problems is when you put it on somebody's backside, they they're looking in the mirror and trying to figure out if they've got a little scar back there. And sometimes they have a little dark spot. So you have to contend with that if you don't use a belly button. Um, so that's, that's my basic, uh, uh, backstory about how I started. I mean, I've had a huge career. I, I, it, you know, people would consider it very successful, but it was a, it was a very difficult career punctuated with all kinds of adversarial nonsense that you can imagine you get in, in California. And I mean, I've got a 25 page uh, resume with all kinds of, you know, wonderful accomplishments, but that's all behind me now because I retired around three years ago and I'm, I'm, I'm talking and I am writing and I am blogging and I'm so on, uh, full-time, uh, mainly about medical corruption and some about the hormone, um, therapies and some about the uh, other current issues, which are kind of pressing right now. So, so that's where I am on it. Uh, I mean, I could tell you, I was a boy scout. I was an Eagle scout, but I think that's going back too far. Yeah. I don't think that would help. I think, I think that's too, too far away. Yeah. So tell me what other, tell me, tell me what you're most interested in and I can uh, go on. Yeah. Something that I was wondering in terms of healthcare, which country like would you say has it worse in terms of healthcare in terms of like patients getting a lot of medications and just yeah. like like just overkill you know in terms of medication that, that's called a leading question that's a softball question and you know the answer of course the america 50 to 70% of us on are on prescription drugs mm -hmm. and we have a pitiful record the our long term mortality or our death rate at a certain age it's worse than any of the top 20 industrialized countries. And there are many theories about why this is. I mean, it could be, you know, there's two things that the Food and Drug Administration supervises, right? And that's, they do a really bad job with both of them, which is food and drugs. And so we've promoted um, these vegetable sources of fats, which are, you know, probably, and, and high carbohydrate diets, which are probably injurious to the health, according to the most modern theories. And all on the drugs side, um, we've had this um, crazy bureaucrat in Washington named Fauci, who has, he's administrated an enormous failure in public health. Our overall public health has declined for 40 or 50 years since he, he got started. And this stuff, I'm going to commend this book. If you don't want to buy my books, buy the number one best-selling book in the world today. It's been the number one best-selling book. New York Times does not acknowledge that, but they've sold over a million copies in about three months. And this thing is an indictment of Fauci. And, and Fauci combined with a, uh, you know, our three, three letter, uh, 
our three letter agencies is, you know, they're all tremendously corrupt. They're all in bed with industry. They're all about making more money for themselves. And they, you know, the, the Fauci's group, they individually hold part, they hold half the patents on all the drugs developed. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Fauci has distributed probably a T trillion dollars during his career of our government money. And it's gone. It, the, the, the result of his actions have been to make Americans sicker and more susceptible to disease. So that was a softball question. You knew the answer, didn't you? Well, kind America's of, but I still wanted to get an yeah. like, opinion on that, you know? Yeah, it's not an opinion. It's, that, it's statistical. Yeah, go ahead. Something that I would say that I don't know personally is which state has it worse than? In the United States? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know uh, that details about that. I, I can tell you that our uh, current health uh, policies with the masks and all that's been a massive failure the uh the treatment for the supposed pandemic uh you know it's killing a lot more people and it's saving so um i you know who knows probably the states that implement all that nonsense and the censorship worse than the other states are in worse shape now i don't possibly california and new york are the worst but i don't have numbers about that run it i don't know about that that's people move around here just opinion statistics are useful but if you don't have it opinion will work yeah, yeah yeah so moving along something that i wanted to talk about in the starting was the cover of the book the hormone secrets book you know the cover was pretty yeah it's brutal it's brutal isn't it yeah. <laughs> I, it was made to be inflammatory but by the time you get done by the time you get done reading this thing you will think it's a mild cover okay so obviously there's a guy in a white coat there a doctor and you know possibly representing a laboratory scientist and he's uh he's sitting there in front of a stack of uh gold bars and the cover is in red right and the reason why it's in red is there's blood involved they're killing a lot of people so i i made this i mean i thought about the cover for a long time and made it as inflammatory as possible my other cover is interesting yeah. also because this cover represents what's going on inside your brain on hormones, right? All that stuff. And this is a, a mask that I found in a, in a Houston restaurant, right? And here's a picture of me in the restaurant with a, with a four foot mask. And I took a picture of that thing, got my artist to superimpose those hormones on this woman's head, right? And, you know, we know women are hormonal. I mean, there's no big secret, but uh, this is a representative of that. So, so that's, uh, you know, it's a much kinder cover than the other one, but it's, uh, it's, it, it, I, I say what I mean, you know, that's what my, my background the is. Covers are like really, like, it's really best to hook the people in and really get them interested with the book. You know, if you're trying to sell books, it's, yeah. and I've learned a lot about it. I've studied it, you know, I'm, I'm an amateur, but, um, it's the cover, the title and the blurb, the blurb is the, and you, you spend a week or two editing your blurb and you get help. So that's what I did. And so these things are Amazon bestsellers or category bestsellers, which doesn't mean as much as you think you pick an obscure category and there you, you have, you have a bestseller, you sell seven of them in a day and they give you the, the title of category bestseller, but they sell 30 a day now. And uh, I don't make a dime on them, Renit. I It's not a profitable enterprise. I break even, I pay for Amazon ads, and I have a contractor that helps me throw up the search terms, you know, inside of Amazon. That's great. 
So moving along, I wanted to ask about the kind of readers. So what audience would you say is this suited to this book, Hormone Secrets? Good question. Okay. So one of the things I try to do as a writer is I try to write these things down to as low a possible grade level as possible. And you can take excerpts from your text and enter them into a website and it will spit out the grade level. Uh, of your writing, right? So hormone secrets, I managed to get most of that down to ninth grade level. And some of it's down at seventh grade level, which is not easy. You have to use a thesaurus in a reverse fashion. In other words, you put in the fancy word that comes into your head, and then you use another word that probably is just as accurate, but easier to understand. So I mean, the important thing is not that I'm not being condescending towards my readers. But it is much easier um, to scan a book if it's written at a lower grade level. And there's a lot of technical stuff in here. And I still got it down to a ninth grade level. So it's aimed primarily at people over 50. Okay. You're 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 a young studly dude and you don't have any hormone problems, obviously. There are a few women who have early menopause in their 30s. And when you check their hormone levels are zero and they need replacement. And in order to get pregnant, they need hormone therapy. But for the most part, this stuff starts at 45 or 50. And men just kind of their testosterone level slowly declines from age 30 on, and maybe it becomes symptomatic at uh, 45 or 50. The women fall off a cliff at 45 or 50, and then their hormone levels go to zero and they experience all those symptoms that, uh, you know, they're, it's very difficult for a lot of them. Some of them are so tough that they manage to keep a good face and, uh, and pretend like everything's all right, even though they're, they're, they're in a lot of trouble, you know, they feel terrible. They're, you know, Really, that's a big deal. So usually, like you're talking about uh, women that are above 40, right? Usually above 45. Although you can have symptoms like this almost at any any point, and you can check the levels, and sometimes you'll find something strange. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the, the major, the problem with these things is that industry has warped and distorted the studies that were done on hormones, and they made a big deal from this crazy study that came out around 2003 called the Women's Health Initiative. And that study claimed that estrogen causes, or the the commentators claimed that the study said that the estrogen causes breast cancer, right? You've heard that story. Well, it's just not true. The only uh, problem has been a synthetic progesterone, which is another one of the female hormones. And that's a pretty small uh, number. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't want to quote the exact numbers, but I'll just speculate that it was six increased cases of breast cancer in 10,000 people. And I'm not even sure that there were any increased deaths, which is the real bottom line. So, um, I mean, it's, it's a very strange situation and I learned more and more about it. And I finally realized that the whole thing was distorted by uh, an FDA that is entirely captured or, in the pockets of big pharma, right? And RFK Jr. calls them a sock puppet. Have you ever heard of a sock puppet? You put a you put a sock on your hand and you play with your kids with it, right? Well, the FDA is a sock puppet of the medical industry. Just to give you an idea, the medical industry in America is $4 trillion gross revenues a year. And you know, our federal government is 
the the uh, the tax revenues are 3.5 trillion. Of course, they're spending much more. I don't know how they get away with that. But the medical industry is just about the same size as the healthcare industry. As the medical industry is just about the same size as the federal government total expenditures a year. Right? I mean, that's just insane. That makes healthcare so powerful that they can buy. We don't call it buy. We call it lobby. Right? But essentially, they're bribing. Um, these senators and the congressmen and basically uh, Congress people, <laughs> they but basically uh, they have they have total control over a legislative process, and because they're so wealthy and we've given them all this money, we've thrown money down out of the sky on healthcare, and in return, they they bribe us and they 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 call the tune for what we spend our money on. I mean, it's crazy. It is. And plus, like the kind of you know the society that we're living in, and the kind of foods that we eat, we are gonna have hormonal issues no matter what age that we are in. You know, like be it forty-year-olds, be it twenty-year-olds, the kind of food that we're eating, the processed food is really gonna mess up with hormones. I had that issue really long time back. I had issues with testosterone, and I like I almost was close to like developing breasts for God's sake, and. And that was really hard, and that was all because of the kind of lifestyle I was leading with the kind of food that I was having, and I had to deal with that issue and take all the junk out, take all those carbs out, and all that processed junk that I was eating, and that's a big part, you know. And hormones really get affected by that. So, what do you say about that? Well, it's it's hard to tease out what the cause of different problems are, but there's no doubt that we're sicker than we were 30 years ago. I mean, yeah. our lifespans have have not improved for a while, maybe at least two or three years, because, you know, they're, they're locking us all up and discouraging everybody with all these crazy lies that we've been heard, we've been hearing. And, uh, but, uh, and you're, the breasts that you were developing, um, that's a common adolescent phenomenon. How old were you when you had your gynecomastia developed? So that was somewhere around 15 or 16. Yeah. So what happens there is you were having a normal development and the normal development is the testosterone goes wild because, you know, you, you develop your, your gonads and testosterone gets converted to estrogen and that stimulates the glandular tissue in your breasts. And I, I used to see that all the time with these kids and uh, you can get it operated on, or you can just wait a few years and most of the time it goes yeah, away. I did get it operated. Yeah. Did they do a good job? Yeah, they did. Yeah. They did a decent job. Not not a great yeah. job, but they did it somewhat. I used to do that surgery in my past. But, um, you know, I mean, it's it's not that big a deal. The bodybuilders take so much testosterone and other related compounds that they almost universally get gynecomastia and they almost universally have those, um, uh, you know, those extra breast tissue and uh, get it taken off. And uh, it's kind of a rite of passage for those guys. And I tell you, the most anxious patients I've ever had have been a 30-year-old bodybuilder who didn't, he didn't look the way he, he thought he was going to look the day after surgery, where he had a little problem like a blood collection or something. And uh, they just get very excited. They're, you know, they're, they're very wrapped up in their appearance. And that's what they do. They're bodybuilders, you know. For some people, it's something societally, you know, like oriented, like they feel uncomfortable when they have that. You know, for me personally, it was the fact that something's popping out of my shirt. <laughs> and that was well, the problem. It was normal development. And you should have been reassured by the people you dealt with instead of them trying to make a big deal of it. I, I think, how long did you wait to get the surgery? Well, I waited till I was 19. 
sometimes it's necessary. And yeah. plus, it was not the usual amount. It was more. It was uh, chronically more than you, the amount that it's usually with normal people, normal adult, uh, adolescents, you know? You, you know, Renate, you know what the uh, bodybuilders call those things, don't you? What? Am I allowed to say a bad word? Yeah. They call them bitch tits. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, usually the surgery is not a big deal. It's yeah. a pretty easy recovery. And, uh, you know, over a few months, the skin gets smoother and they look better. Anyways, let's not, let's not deviate from the topic. I usually do this a lot. <laughs> I have this problem of deviation. I have told this to my okay. students as well. So let's move on to the hormone secret. So when, if you have to like summarize this book in general for the listeners here, like how would you summarize it? Well, the hormone misinformation is everywhere. And there basically, it's a pack of lies invented by industry and a cabal with the FDA. And they faked all these studies to make it all seem terrible. But it's, if you use bioidentical hormones, which are identical chemically to your body's um, components, right? That doesn't mean that they were made by a plant. They can eat, be synthesized, but they're, as long as you're using bioidentical, the results are just phenomenal. And uh, I mean, I can, let me just read this quote by a patient who started estradiol, progesterone, and testosterone about eight weeks before the uh, quote. She says, hey, doing well on my hormones, about two months in now. My energy is up, as is my sex drive and my enjoyment of it. My muscle tone and skin look great, and some old friends I gathered with on the East Coast last week accused me of having an aging painting of myself in a closet somewhere. I'm still having hot flashes at night and wonder if I should adjust my estrogen up some. And so I told her, increase the estradiol to two milligrams every morning. And we may even decide to increase the progesterone and we'll, ch we'll check her levels. But I mean, that's very typical. They, they, they do super. And, uh, here's an, here's another one. Testosterone makes, this is a 63 year old registered nurse. Testosterone makes me feel sexy, gives me an overall feeling of well-being. My strength and muscle tone improve, especially when I exercise. When I was younger, I got a little aggressive when I used testosterone, but now I'm either okay with aggression or maybe it doesn't happen. I have paranoia and anxiety when I don't take progesterone. That's very typical. The progesterone mellows them out. Um, even though I'm not an anxious person, I sometimes get a little depressed and extra progesterone helps this, which is, which is, uh, uh, which is all true. Um, I take from one to three of the 200 milligram capsules a day and it mellows me out with estradiol. My ability to remember improves and I sleep better. I'm less tired. I've tried different doses and I know what works for best for me, which is one of the keys to this. You have to, if you want the best results, you have to let the patients sort of get a feel for what, and the women are very sensitive. They're very individual. Here's another one, 51 year old woman. My marriage was disintegrating. I hated everyone around me and I felt terrible, but I got on hormones and they saved me. I'm trying to repair all the damage that I did. So one more, I had my hysterectomy, this is a 45 year old lady with ovary removals 10 years ago. See, that's a disaster because they are crashed into menopause. Um, when my daughter was only six years old, I didn't get on hormone replacement until last year. I thought, thought about my life and I wrote my daughter an apology letter about the way I treated her. I was just so depressed and anxious. Progesterone has been the biggest relief. I feel human again. So it's a lot of very uh, impressive uh, 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 anecdotes and studies and so on that say that it's uh, enormously beneficial for health. And I'm going to tell you something you're not going to believe. 
if we got everybody on estradiol or estrogen at age 50, we would decrease Alzheimer's by 80 plus percent. Now, I know that sounds crazy. And we got all these drugs that don't work, right? Not even the inventors of these damn drugs claim they work and they're thousands of dollars a month, the Alzheimer's drugs. But the, and it's such an incredible, uh, unbelievable statement that I put in here an appendix with 75 references that essentially backed up what I, I'm saying about the estrogen. And once people read this thing and understand how valuable these hormones are, they won't have any trouble believing that it could affect Alzheimer's. It doesn't treat it. Once you have Alzheimer's, we don't have any treatment. It's not, there's nothing. Um, but to prevent it, um, it works very well. And Alzheimer's is the most expensive uh, medical condition in America if you count long-term care costs. It's crazy. It's crazy. And this is suppressed. This, this information is not uh, common knowledge. Obviously, it won't be. Pardon me? It won't be because it's not beneficial. They're not making money on it. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the big issue. People want to make money. Money runs the world. Money runs the world. And maybe you understand. Hey, I'm going to tell you another story. <laughs> You're Indian, right? Yeah. I thought India was corrupt, right? Really? And I know I know about having to pay off doctors in order to get them to treat you. You got all this little backsheesh or whatever it is you pass around and make things work. America doesn't work like that. America has predators in in here that steal vast swaths of government money and we make indians look like amateurs at corruption we're we're not it's not even close i mean we're we're right now we we've engaged the world in an enormous hoax to sell 100 billion dollars worth of this crazy uh you know i call it the clot shot right <laughs> sell all those clot shots that kill more people than they help far more and and we you know I mean, we, we've extorted these other countries to do it and every, all the mainstream everywhere is, uh, is, uh, pushing their populace to, you know, put bags over their heads and wear masks and, and get the clot shot. Right. I mean, it's crazy. It's, you know, we got hundreds of studies that show we have actually, there's around a thousand studies, uh, that are against the, uh, the, this drug and it's not a vaccine. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, 200 plus studies saying that the masks and social isolation don't work at all. You know, it's, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's all kind of a, some sort of oddball thing to get everyone on the same page and make all that money for these global corporations. So, so, you know, you, you go to India and you think, well, this is kind of a corrupt place. I got, I got to pay somebody else to, uh, you know, to get a decent hotel room. I got to bribe the uh, bellboy, you know, or whatever. But you guys are amateurs, you know, you're absolute amateurs. I mean, you're, you're not, there's, you don't have this enormous predatory um, uh, insanity, uh, which is scale. what it's not large scale. It's much it's not large scale. It's yeah. not large scale. It's petty. It's petty thievery over there. Over here, we've got the mobs, mob mobsters. You know, did you know that big pharma is the most criminal industry in history as measured by their federal settlements with U.S. federal prosecutors? Billions of dollars a year. Pfizer's one of the top, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy this, you know, and I mean, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to get into it, but you know, you heard about 
Project uh, Veritas and trying to get that Pfizer data and then, then wanting to conceal it for 75 years. I mean, it's so absurd on the face of it. Well, they, they, they're getting around that and the stuff's coming out. And, you know, they knew this, this thing was deadly and they knew it was going to kill a lot of people long before the, you know, soon after they started and probably a long time before that. And so, you know, there are a lot of us who are hoping to see some prosecution and you may be aware that the U.S. military whistleblowers are coughing up data that is better. You know, you know what the VAERS data is, the V-A-E-R-S? The VAERS data is a database that tells about, uh, you know, like the HPV vaccine and all these other things. With 50 deaths, a vaccine is thrown away. They, they kill it. Um, and, you know, I, I knew these things were nonsense from the first first uh, moment they started talking about 95% efficacy because, you know, the HPV vaccine, that's the wart vaccine that supposedly prevents cervical cancer. That thing was thrown out by Japan because half of the studies were concealed and these people own the studies. So they're allowed to throw out half their studies. Right. And it, it's being used. I'm sure you've had the vaccine. Um, my kids have all had it. It's used in us and uh, Europe ubiquitously. Um, but Japan just laughed it all out of the country. Only 1% of them have it. And the flu vaccine is another joke. It's a bad joke. We spent $100 billion on that thing, and it doesn't decrease the chances of pneumonia or other serious diseases. It probably decreases the, you know, the studies in Cochrane Reviews, which is the most respected source in medicine, say that it's probably decreases the length of the disease by a few hours at most. I mean, it's, it's an outrage and it, it does have side effects and problems. So, um, so the, these things are, uh, I mean, it's just, it's an unbelievable scene over here and Canada is no better. I mean, you're a Canadian citizen. Not technically I'm on study permit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to stay, you may want to go back to England. I, it depends on how the truckers do. Have you heard any rumors about that? Yeah. I heard the rumors. Yeah. It How took really time do. to me because I'm not that much into in into media because media is trying to scare the public and stuff with all kinds of stuff. You can go, you can get on Substack and you can subscribe to blogs that will tell you exactly what's going on. And unfortunately, if you get into it, it's never ending. But um, Steve Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H is a good one to start with. Yeah. I like Alex Berenson, but a lot of people don't like him. He's a little inconsistent and some, some people have called him curmudgeonly. Um, but he's a, he's a wonderful writer. I mean, I, you know, it's hard, it's hard to argue with him. He, he had some stances that I thought were the kindest way you could put it was they were irrational. Um, but, uh, but he'll, you, you'll get, you'll understand what's going on. And Paul Alexander's Substack, and you know how to find a Substack is you write the guy's first and last name, like Paul Alexander. I don't think there's a dot in the middle at Substack dot, or no, no, there's no, no hang on dot substack.com and just put that in and then you'll then you get real information from people that are not censored yeah. no censorship but, there yet yeah no you know too much journalism crap yeah 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 i mean the journalism has been it's derivative of these i mean it's it's just crazy how these memes get passed around and so far substack's been great i have a substack blog uh robert yoho dot substack dot com and you can it's a window into the other good substacks and so on i quote them and 
you know, you can, you can subscribe free to most of it. You can pay if you really feel like you have to, but most of them, you get most of the content free. I would say that the media, it works like in alliance with these former companies and all. Yeah. Now with the COVID and stuff, now the, you know, media will say that, oh, vaccines are best, you know, they help with this much, that much. And then the people will be scared because of the media and they'll, they'll go and go and get the vaccine and both are benefiting from it. It's a very sick scene. You know, our constitution, which you probably studied, has these amendments they're the most important part of the whole thing. And the first amendment is free speech. And we have somehow allowed these tech companies to get after us and, uh, and ruin that, you know, and destroy our free speech. I mean, they, we get censored. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very sick. And you have to understand the tech companies, two of these tech companies, Apple and Google alone are bigger than the U S federal government spending a year, their, their market cap or their total value time, the total stock is bigger than the government. They're well over 2 trillion each. I don't know. They might be 3 trillion by now for all I know. And the federal government is only 3.5 trillion tax revenues plus whatever they spend on top of that, a trillion or two extra, you know, I mean, it's freaking insane. But um, the thing that your listeners should understand is the financial structure of the world has become amalgamated. So big players can make huge influences. And there are three companies that sit at the top of the whole thing. And that's Berkshire Hathaway, BlackRock. And uh, what's the other one? Um, I forget. There's another huge um, holding company. And then down from that, there are these tech companies and pharma companies and huge corporations, and they share board members across their platform. So um, they, they, they kind of have a group think. And I, it seems to be right now, they seem to want to destroy our Western uh, system of commerce. And they seem to want to, uh, you know, the, the direction seems very ominous for, um, you know, some sort of uh, central control. And the people from Eastern Europe who've been through communist dictators and, and communist takeovers and all this stuff, they are, they are very, very concerned about what's going on. The, uh, the basic idiots like you and I, you know, who, who may, you know, maybe not you, but people like me who, uh, who are not as, uh, savvy and haven't been through it um sometimes we're just backstroking through life trying to keep our head above water instead of being, getting worried but i'm i'm very concerned about it so like moving back along to the book let's say that someone has read your book so in terms of now that they have read the book how would they be able to apply the book to do the treatments and stuff Of course. So in the, in that book, now this, it's not that hard, but it's not that easy. So anyone who's in their early fifties or late forties has these symptoms, or if you're younger and you have symptoms you think are hormonal, I would advise you to study it like a little textbook. It's not that hard. Again, it's written down to ninth grade level. It may be a little foreign, but um, there are uh, references for organizations who, which have doctors who can take care of you and they're in every state. And I believe you can find somebody in Canada, no problem. And let's say that, you know, like you go to a doctor and the doctor advises against hormonal treatment. Well, um, if you read this thing, um, you'll know more than 90. See, this stuff is not standard medicine because the standard uh, books and everything else are written by big 
So the patients are all secondary or even not even on the consideration list. So um, I would recommend you read it and you can get your labs done by your doctor and then you can interpret them yourself and you can find someone else. If the great thing about America now is we can do virtual consultations with anyone for a few hundred or a few thousand dollars. So you can, you can go, you can fly to Phoenix in 30 seconds if you live in uh, the East coast and you can go to one of these people who does this kind of work and you can ask them for their opinion. And you don't have to stick with any doctor you don't like. We're not Holland. You're, it's very difficult to change uh, doctors in the Netherlands. But here in America, you just say, later. <laughs> That's all you have to say. I'm out of here. And so, and you get somebody else to help you. And this frequently is a cash practice because the insurances don't like it because they, they're in bed with the uh, pharmaceutical companies and the rest of the medical industry and so on and so forth. But it's not that expensive. I mean, you know, at the worst, it's a few hundred dollars a month, you know, and you can get by much cheaper than that. If you just get on testosterone alone and you're a woman, you still get the benefit of having estrogen because the testosterone gets broken down to estrogen. And if you get a bottle of um, injectable testosterone, it can cost you a dollar to two dollars a week, and that's it. So it's it doesn't it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be expensive. If you want the absolute best results, um, you'll go to somebody who uh, is sort of in the. You don't want anybody who charges thousands of dollars for the first visit. I mean, they're just there's a lot of people sort of taking advantage of the situation. Um, but uh, you can find excellent physicians much less, and you can once you've seen them once in person you know, you might even fly to see someone, you can see them virtually after that, and they'll check your labs, you can get them drawn locally, and then they'll check your labs every few months or a year. Ultimately, it boils down to once a year check of the labs and, and a phone call, and, and re renewal of prescriptions. Some of this stuff's over the counter too, and I show how to get it. This actually, this this thing that we were just talking about reminds me of Dallas, Dallas Bias Club, you know, this reminds me of that movie. I, I miss that one. I don't watch TV. Is that a TV show or a movie? It's it's a movie. Matthew McConaughey was it. So it, this movie is like, it's all about like, I also said, tell this to the listeners, but I, I do this quite a lot that I talk about certain movies and I just, you know, give a basis about it. So this movie was all about HIV back in the day where oh, the yeah. treatments were going I remember that. and the tests were going about it. And there was this person who got HIV and he got into this trial, this medical trial for the drug that they were using to help with HIV and stuff. And this dude was on this on these trials and it was not helping him at all. So he started to go against these, like, you know, the, the ones who were giving him the drug itself. And he started to look for other ways through which he can actually be get better and, you know, lead his life the way he has to lead. Because with these drugs, it's not at all like benefiting him in any way it's actually making things worse for him so he goes along the way and he tries to find another way to do it and somewhere somehow he finds a doctor he lands up in a hospital in mexico and there's this doctor which has his own medicine or something through which he's treating people with hiv and those people have a elongated lifespan having hiv and he starts to sell his drugs into america into texas yeah so the movie this is another sad story uh because 
it it was another one of Fauci's disasters. And how Fauci was around back then, and he promoted AZT as the ultimate be-all and end-all AIDS drug. And it turned out to be a killer and it killed a lot of people, um, just like this vaccine's killing people. And just like the there's a um there's a uh uh antiviral that they're using, uh remdesivir at and these people get admitted to the hospital and the hospitals get bonuses. For, hang on, let me turn this off. The hospitals get bonuses for um, giving people this remdesivir, which has a 25% fatality rate, and it doesn't work. And we we've got it. We had all the studies about that before the. Uh, um, we had all the studies about it before um, the whole COVID thing hit, and we we knew the remdesivir was a killer. So um, so Fauci funded the AZT trials which didn't work. And he suppressed the simple treatments that were later found to work, such as, I believe, inhaled pentamidine and Bactrim. Bactrim is a cheap antibiotic and it helped uh, pneumocystis pneumonia. I mean, it did a good job. And so these, just like the current treatments that are su suppressed, the ivermectin and the hydroxychloroquine, and even the knowledge that high vitamin D levels uh, give you a, a much better chance against the COVID. I, these things are being suppressed by a, a medical industrial complex that wants to sell these freaking crazy drugs that don't work. And so uh, I don't know whether you're aware that when you're admitted to an American hospital, they always check your COVID status. They stick the thing up your nose because they get bonuses for everyone they diagnose with COVID, even if you're not symptomatic, right? So they do that. And then if you have it, they're bonused for giving remdesivir. I mean, a lot of money. So they get a bonus for everyone who's admitted with COVID who gets remdesivir, which kills a quarter of them at least. Some studies say 50%. They get a bonus for innovating and doing mechanical ventilation, and there's a death bonus. So it, you know, all in all, they get paid about $100,000 per person more for admitting these people with um, supposedly with COVID. I mean, it's, it's, it's just absolutely dystopian when you think about it. I mean, I'll tell you another story that you're just not going to believe. Yeah. In Switzerland, you can't get assisted suicide unless you've had the jab. <laughs> How do you like that one? <laughs> I mean, is that sick or oh what? I mean, it's just, it's a, it's an absolutely crazy scene here. And, uh, you know, the people that aren't specialized in looking at this and haven't focused on it the way I have, I mean, you you just have no freaking clue how bad it is. I mean, it's just crazy. Also, like India, I've heard a lot of cases of fake reports, like hospitals would create fake reports, COVID reports, and they would forcibly keep people there for 14 days for eating up the hospital bills. Yeah. Crazy. You know, <laughs> India has a state, I don't know the name of it, um, with 200 million people in it. It's like two thirds the size of the United States. And they, they passed out ivermectin and vitamin D, their COVID rates went to zero. I mean, this stuff is pennies a dose or less. I mean, it's, it's so you don't want to say that India's got it wrong because India, India is a part of our uh, uh, evidence that, 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 that we've done such a bad job. I mean, we've done worse job in the United States than anywhere else in the world. And the reason is we're, we're most influenced by these horribly large corporations. So do you know why we're pushing the backs on little kids? 
we're pushing the vax on little kids because if it is approved, and this is what they're talking about, 16 to 18 year olds. Have you heard that story? If it gets approved for any pediatric age group, which is less than 18 years of age, they get liability relief on the entire program. Is that insane? So that's why they're kill killing our kids. I mean, the, the kids definitely have a higher fatality rate than if, if they have the vax, they have a higher fatality rate than, uh, uh, th th than if they catch COVID. I mean, COVID doesn't kill any little kids. I mean, it's ridiculous. So why do you figure that illegal immigrants to the United States are not given the vax? Because if they got the vax, there's no lawsuit immunity protection on people coming from an unknown country, right? So they could sue Pfizer and these other jackals who are giving this stuff. So they, they don't get, you know, they, they let them in, they don't give them the vax. It's just a, it's, it's just dystopian. I mean, it's crazy. It is. So moving along as we are gonna approach, as we are approaching the end of this podcast episode, I just wanted to like, I usually do this in the end, whenever there is a person who has written a book, and I will recommend all to all my listeners to go check out all these books that Robert has just mentioned. I'll leave the link down the description for all these books. This is the important one. Yeah. This one will open your eyes. It's a million copy bestseller. Mine sold a few thousand copies. You know, yeah. mine so are very good. The link for all three books, especially that book on Fauci down the description. So check them out. And which one of these three books, like the one that you just mentioned, the, that one is the most important. That one is it's, the most it's critical. It's critical. And I, people will red pill on this whole thing. If they listen to the two Joe Rogan interviews on Spotify, um, uh, and we'll, we'll stick those in the show notes. If you want, if you will, um, they're, uh, Robert Malone and, uh, Peter McCullough's interviews and they're three hour intervals inter interviews, but you can speed them up. Um, and, uh, I have a link to one of those things that got on BitChute, So it, you don't have to listen to the, uh, the commercials if you don't have Spotify. So those two things, plus the, um, Fauci book by RFK jr. Uh, those are the really important ones. If you want, if you're uh, interested in the hormones, my hormone secrets books, I think is the very best one around. I spent three years writing those books and, uh, you know, they're, they're very carefully edited. They're easy to understand. The, the, uh, the, uh, butchered by healthcare book is a little depressing, but I tried to throw in, I tried to throw in, uh, anecdotes about good doctors as well as bad doctors. <laughs> so there are good doctors too. And there are some really phenomenal doctors. And I don't want any of your listeners to think that I'm entirely negative on, um, healthcare in general. There are miracles every day and people get saved, but it's just, we spend, we spend twice the amount of money that other countries spend. We spend twice per capita per person, twice what um, France, England, Germany, Canada, Australia spend on healthcare per person. And we get horrible healthcare. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy blend. It's a sick blend of capitalism and socialism that just doesn't work. Like this book that you just mentioned, The Butchered by Healthcare, does it provide any like actionable steps that people can yeah, take? Good question. <laughs> I, I laugh, you know, I laugh because it's black humor. You know what black humor is, Ron? It is if you're in a firefight and you almost get shot and you almost die, you sort of laugh and make jokes afterwards. But that's what it is. I mean, this whole scene is just so crazy. The actionable steps, I do provide actionable steps for what would work in the US. But the money is so big 
that it's impractical. But there are things that individual patients can do. And there's two things in, in particularly. You can fly by your Skype uh, connection or whatever you have to see other doctors anywhere. And if your doctors aren't doing the right thing, you can beat on them with the threat that these other doctors are going to come and, and be your expert witness at the lawsuit. So you, you can, if you have an unusual problem, and I don't mean people like you, dude, you don't have any medical problems, just your best, your best uh, policy would just stay the heck away from any doctors, almost categorically. But when you're older, you start, your friends start dropping dead and maybe your wife has cancer or, or some crazy thing. And you can go around and you can see whoever you want and you can listen to their podcasts and, and decide who the best is for you. The other thing you can do is we have patient groups that you can network and you can find out all kinds of information about your condition. And some of these people know more than the doctors. Now, I don't, I, I say that with little reservation, but not a lot of reservation. I mean, they really know a lot and they're willing to help you. So those are, those are two big advantages. Um, but as far as uh, the magical cure for U.S. healthcare, I don't know what's going to happen because we're chewing through so much money. I mean, um, Warren Buffett called it the tapeworm in the American economy. You know, he says, unless we find some way of, of uh, fixing this, we'll, we, we just can't be competitive. But I mean, who knows? We seem to have found a way to steal the other country's money with the reserve currency and all that. And now, you know, I mean, it's a, it's just a wild scene and it just, it isn't a disaster yet, but I don't know how we can avoid it with our money printing and all that. Now about the hormones thing, there is, there are a lot of people who would say that they want to take the natural route to this. So what would you say to them? Okay. So the definition of bioidentical, it might be a little different than natural, right? So what you want is you want a bioidentical hormone, which means it's identical to the human body's components. And many of those are made in the lab. They're not made from uh, a low aloe plants or anything like that, you know, and that they're not. And basically over the counter products with some exceptions are not strong enough to work. So you want to find a physician who can prescribe these things and they are compounded by compounding pharmacies mainly. And your listeners probably aren't aware that until 30 or 40 years ago, most of the medications were compounded for individual patients in compounding pharmacies. But now we're selling all these big pharma drugs, they're patent drugs, and the compounders are probably only 5% of all the medications sold, but they're still, they're still allowed to make these things up. And they, they do a pretty good job for most hormones. You have to, your doctor will know who the good compounders are because he or she has had experience checking the labs and the blood levels of people who are on those hormones. So the, 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 the advice is to get more advice and do your research. That would really help a lot of people out there who are listening to this podcast episode. So as like a finishing thing to just summarize this entire podcast episode, if you want to like, you know, emphasize on a particular point that we spoke about in this entire podcast, episode, what would that point be? Well, uh, Ron, when I was, I hate to, I hate to say this when I was your age, there was a caveat that said, you don't trust anybody over 30. Right. Um, I would say you trust, but verify everyone you come in contact with, and you absolutely don't want to trust any of the mainstream media sources. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, Facebook censoring YouTube, who, which I was very fond of, they 
they didn't get into it right away. Um, but if it gets removed, you can stick them up on Rumble or BitChute. And so absolutely don't trust CNBC or it, throw your tele, telly. I think you're in Canada, so I can say telly. Throw your telly out of a second story window, right? And, you know, go on Substack. And as of now, they're the best single source. And you can try some of the people that I suggest in my Substack uh, and judge as, you know, judge everything by the evidence that's presented. I mean, we still have science. We still have studies. It's just we got the third silly prostitutes to the big money, you know, the people that are bloviating about everything. So it's, it's totally sick. And so uh, trust, but verify. There are a few of us over 30 you can trust. Yeah, yeah. that's a really useful point. So thank you, Robert, for being here. And I really hope that all the listeners who are listening to this podcast episode, you can really like take a lot of these good and amazing points points that are being made in this podcast episode and you know you got a good perspective and you got a lot of insight on a lot of things and really you know you really got a outlook on what's going on here so that's a really good thing so i really hope that all the listeners out there you got something that you know you can use in the future now moving forward from this podcast episode probably you know read some books about it that i'm going to give give in the, on the description go do that as well and I hope that you have learned something from this and you will get something out of it. So I hope you all have a very good day and I'll see you in my next podcast episode. So bye-bye. Thanks for getting me on the show, Ronan. Definitely.